Listen, when Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike grab mics, it's real sports, real talk. On the field or on the court. If it happened in New York, it's covered like a blanket, dog. Interviews are ill, simply up close and personal. That erupt, Lloyd's batting first, set the tone. Mike see the right the stadium with a guard and on the phone. Here we go, Giants of Jets, Yankees of Mets, Knicks of Nets. This is only an intro, the show is next. Hey, what it do, listeners? What it do? Today is Monday, February 26, 2018, and I would like to welcome you, the listeners, to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Listeners, the show airs on Mondays from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at Lloyd. A Thompson.com. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can catch up on previous episodes and you won't miss a damn thing. And if you have any questions that you'd like for me and Matt Mike to answer on the show, you can shoot them through email to Lloyd at parkmyfresh.com or you can send them directly to the website. Listeners, as I always say, you can follow us. On social media, Instagram, Lloyd A. Thompson, one word. And on Twitter, Lloyd A. Thompson, one word. Be sure to hit that follow button. As always, exciting show for you guys today. We got the Mets and Yankees starting off their spring training action. We got the New York Knicks who need to be in tank mode. So me and the Mad Mike can talk about that. We're going to talk some Islanders. We're going to talk some Rangers. We're going to touch up on some other things. So as always, guys, let's buckle up. Sit back and relax and start spreading the news. Hey, yo, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go. As always, listeners, you know we can't start this show without finding out where the Mad Mike is. Yo, Mad Mike, where you calling from today, baby? What's up, Lloyd? What's up, listeners? I'm calling from Clearwater, Florida. I was uh, at the Yankees-Phillies uh, exhibition game yesterday. You know, spring training kicked off this weekend. Couldn't be happier. Listen, I'll tell you this much, Matt, Mike. I'm envious of you because while you was down there basking in the sun, your boy was up here, up in the Big Apple, dealing with nothing but rainfall and, and pretty bad weather. So, you know, if I can switch spots... I would definitely do so. So I'm, I'm a bit envious of you this time around, man, Mike. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for. That's exactly what I'm here for. So here we go, man, Mike. We're going to start off with some baseball because the Mets and the Yankees opened up their spring training uh, this past week. Excited. Excited time for, for baseball fans. And actually, man, Mike, the New York Mets look pretty good. I was surprised at how well... The Mets look. Zach Willis started off uh, the first exhibition game, and his first pitch, Matt Mike, was in the low 94s, you know, and he gave up a hit. But then after that, he responded out with a pair of strikeouts, and he featured a fastball that was in the mid 90s. At one point, Matt Mike, he peaked of 97 miles an hour in the 15 pitch outing that he had. So that was a pretty impressive start and a good start for Willis. Yeah, no, that's that's great. But you got to think about it. This is why you go and hire Mickey Calloway, uh, whether he's a sexy name or not. 
Um, that's why you're going to get him because he understands pitching. He understands how his pitchers should be working out. Um, and, and to my understanding, uh, something I read earlier in the week, the Mets pitchers are only are only out there working out for about 45 minutes a day. He's not he's not running them into the ground. He's not, you know, uh, you know, tiring out, out guys where, where, you know, they're now going into games with their muscles tight. And especially this early in spring, so that's it was it was very encouraging to see, and um, you know that's the wild card for them, in, in my opinion. He's always been the wild card because you you know what you want Matt Harvey to be. Um, outside of all the injuries, you, you you've actually seen what Matt Harvey can be, and you know Noah is going to be the ace. Degrom is going to be the ace. You know the the the. You know, I, I say they have two aces. Uh, you know those two, and, and that one guy that you want to you want to transform them is, is Zach Wheeler, and we just haven't seen much of him um, as a Met. So it's it's uh, exciting times. Now, as the rotation stacks up, now Wheeler likely sits at the number six spot, but he's trying to keep the depth chart out of his mind, and that's also including any talk about ending up in the bullpen come opening day. So he's focused on earning a spot in that rotation. And, you know, when they asked him, you know, about how he felt, you know, after the outing, he was just saying, you know, his main focus is just to go out there and pitch like he knows how to, basically. And he was like, when he's healthy, he knows what he he know what he's capable of doing. And he just keeps his head down and goes out there and pitch when they need him, you know, to, to do so. Now, you know, the Mets would be happy with that. They'll be happy with that outing. You know, but on that particular same day, man, Mike Dominic Smith got himself benched, was showing up late. Now, you know, Willa behaved like a player serious about winning a job, which is, you know, which is all new uh, Mickey Calloway could have hoped for. But, you know, again, with Dominic Smith, man, you know, they signed Adrian Gonzalez to play first base. So he lost his job. He's still a future because Adrian Gonzalez is an aging player. But, you know, this is not how you conduct yourself and this is not how you take over the reins and become the you know and, and be the future of this organization by doing things like that man mike no but i'll tell you this if dom smith was hoping to make the mets starting uh lineup to you know open the season in 2018 he damn sure as hell made a terrible first impression on on his coach i mean you know, for all all the reports of telling us that he's lost twenty pounds, that he's slimmer, he's he's ready, he's in great shape to to show up late first exhibition game to get benched. I mean, those are the things that 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 speak to the coach. I mean, what what you do in your spare time is what you do in your spare time. Um, I get it, and, and I don't know. You know, we're we're never gonna know why he was late, but it happened. You know what I'm saying? And and. It's just you can't have that, man. You you know, you're not Adrian Gonzalez. And what I mean by that is uh, Adrian Gonzalez has established himself. He has an established career. You know what I mean? If you're looking at Mickey Calloway uh, going into this year, he's probably saying I'm more comfortable because I know this guy. You know, I don't necessarily know my team yet, 
and, and I know that sounds bad, and people are going to say, how can you say a coach doesn't know his team? He's a first-time coach of this team, and I'd say the same thing about Aaron Boone. Until you're in the fire, physically in the fire with those guys, and you see how people react to certain situations, you don't know your team yet. So Mickey Callaway doesn't necessarily know his team yet. He doesn't know Dominic Smith being a, a you know, I don't even know if Dominic Smith still has rookie eligibility. Probably not. But uh, as a second-year player, at least he knows what he's getting with Adrian Gonzalez and you, you didn't help yourself in my opinion. I, I think it, this is a mess though, you know what I mean? And, and and I'm not saying that's Mickey Calloway's culture, but these are the kind of things that you expect when, when, when you're talking about the Mets. It just doesn't shock you. Well, you know, I will say that, you know, he doesn't seem like a coach that tolerates that type of nonsense. So kudos to him for him benching him. And who knows if he ever gets out of that doghouse, Matt Mike, but, you know, on other things, Matt Harvey faced Tim Tebow in his live batting practice session on Friday. And of all players, Tim Tebow took three swings and belted a solid line drive to right center field that could have been a double or could have been a fly out, as reports are saying, depending on who may have been out there. But the fact that Tim Tebow is smacking around Matt Harvey is not a is not a good thing or a good sign. But it's baseball, so it happens. You know, every dog has his day, so to speak. But also, Tim Tebow hurt himself with some freaky water sprinkler accident. So you know, there's been reports that you know Sandy Alderson has said that he sees Tim Tebow as being a major league baseball player. Uh, yeah, okay, miss me with that one. Um, you know, I think it's just a way for the Mets to sell tickets and to sell jerseys and, to, you know, earn money off of this circus show, you know, so to speak. Um, we'll also talk about Russell Wilson, who Yankees traded for. Um, you Great mean, trade. Great trade, by the way. You know, so we'll, we'll touch up on that. Um, but, you know, this is a big year for Matt Harvey, and I like Matt Harvey. And a lot of, you know, a, a part of me... Would like to see Matt Harvey in a Yankees uniform, but over the last year or so, you know, that that me wanting him to be in a Yankees uniform is completely went south for the winter. So I can see him next year as being a pitcher because this is, you know, this is his walk year. He'll be a free agent after this year. He might be one of those guys, man, that might end up, you know, waiting or not even getting an opportunity to pitch in the major leagues next year, Matt Mike. Yeah, Matt Harvey, you like Matt Harvey because you because you like the name. You like Matt Harvey because of everything he stood for when he first came up. You know, the savior, the ace. Uh, he was electric. The guy threw 100 miles per hour. He was a bulldog. That's why you like him. Um, nobody likes the current Matt Harvey. Uh, why would you? Uh, if you're Brian Cashman, you've already seen how this guy handles New York. You want nothing to do with him, whether he's talented or not. Uh, you're better off letting him go somewhere else. Um, I can see Matt Harvey striving in, in a, for a team like Milwaukee. You know what I mean? A team that's up and coming, uh, still has pitching needs, and he's probably not going to break the bank, but um, he's gonna he'll, he'll get a decent contract, and and hopefully getting out of the the uh, spotlight in New York will will change things for him. Um, that's what I think of him. Uh, it's a big year for him, but uh, I, until we see it, I don't think that any of us can can uh, be positive as far as him making it through an entire year. And not necessarily just because he uh, is injury prone. It's because do any of us really believe that the the Mets, uh, maybe with Mickey Callaway, but 
do any of us believe that they can keep a player healthy? Yeah, they haven't had a great history of doing so. And speaking of healthy issues, I, uh, Cespedes hit a bomb the other day down in, in Florida, man. And the Mets, they're putting up runs. So, you know, we always said, you know, and, and we have Joe on the show, Joe Rivera, our good friend, our columnist from the Sporting News. Um, We always say that, they, you know, if the Mets could get their hitting shoes on, you know, with that pitching staff, that the Mets might, you know, they could make some noise in the NL East. You know, because really the only team they have to contend with is the Nationals. So if the Mets can hit, man, if the Mets can score runs, you know, they're gonna be a, they're gonna be much, much better than what a lot of people expect them to be. And so far, all signs indicate that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna hit the ball. You know, obviously they don't have the same players that they had last year. They have, you know, some more veterans with the Tom Fraser signing and the Adrian Gonzalez signing and the Jay Bruce signing. You know, so that makes sense. And, you know, with Tom Fraser, one thing I'll give him credit for as he changed the culture in the Yankees locker room, and he seemed to give, you know, to add fun to the, you know, to those guys while they were playing baseball down the stretch. And if he could bring that same type of, you know, uh, attitude with the Mets, you know, and that same type of, you know, excitement and, you know, have those guys having fun, the Mets might be a dangerous team this year, Matt, Mike. Yeah, no, they, they, they. I like what they did. Like I said last week uh, with Joe on the on the show, I I like their moves, and I think in a better market, if they ended up with all these guys in a, in a steadier market, we'd be praising the job that Sandy did. I just think that that people are looking at it and saying, "Oh man, he had he got Todd Frazier when he could have got, you know, uh, Mike Mustakis. He got." You know, Jay Bruce, when he could have got J.D. Martinez, he, you know, I, I think if, if we're being fair to the moves he made, uh, anybody walking away from this offseason loves uh, uh, the Mets team on um, what they did. Uh, he attacked holes. He attacked uh, the, the, the one move he made that I didn't like was was uh, Jay Bruce. And that's, that's, you know, nitpicking because he got him, uh, you know, you get a guy who, who's going to hit 272, 280, hit you 25, 30 home runs, drive in 90. And, and I'm over here complaining about him only because I think that it prevents you from finding out what a guy like Brandon Nemo is. But besides that, you got yourself a hell of a pro. I don't like the move for, for reasons outside of, of, of the baseball field. Not, not because of what he can do. The guy's an absolute stud, and we'd both be hypocrites because he's one of the guys that we were hoping the, Met, the Yankees would have targeted last deadline um, for their DH role instead of, uh, you know, continuously running out Matt Holiday. So, uh, you know, the, but once again, remember that it's two games into spring training, and we're seeing a lot of pitchers that are uh, throwing baseballs right now that are not going to be uh, in spring training in 10 days. And also, let's give credit to Manny Active. He's probably changing the culture of that team as well, just watching the games and seeing the excitement that he gives the players when they score a run and things like that. I think that's what the Mets need. That's what they're looking for. And how, how odd is it, Mike? I, I find it so hard on my part to actually say that the Mets are doing something well. But, you know, again, I have to give credit where credit is due. You give credit where credit is due. And, you know, excellent job by Sandy Alderson in the offseason. The Mets are a much better team this year. I do believe that the Mets are going to make noise this year. And I'm actually excited to see what these guys can do. And if you're a Mets fan, 
If you're a Met fan, you should be excited as well to see what this team is going to do because they have a lot of potential. But just like me and the Mad Mike says, the key, the key to the Mets' success this year is if everyone can stay healthy. The Cespedes, the Jay Bruce's, you know, the pitching staff. If these guys can stay healthy and they can get 100-plus games out of, obviously, you know, out of these guys and, you know, 15 or 20 starts out of their starting rotation, the Mets are going to be a, they're going to be a problematic team for the Washington Nationals. I don't think the Washington Nationals are as good as they were last year. So the, I think the Mets, you know, have closed that gap. I don't think necessarily they pull ahead, but I think that the Mets have closed the gap. And I will say that in baseball, there's been so many times, Matt Mike, and I know you could agree with this, that a team that you would expect to win a division or a team that you would expect to win doesn't always do so. And this could be the case this year if the Mets stay healthy. Yeah, uh, uh, yes and no. I think that uh, the Nationals are way too deep. Um, you gotta, we're, I think we're selling them short because you got to remember something. Victor Robles is probably, uh, if not the best, he's the second best prospect in all of baseball, if we're all being honest. And he's going he's gonna to play a lot of center field this year. And they have, uh, uh, they, 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 you know, they have the, uh, I'm missing his name right now, the center fielder, Adam Eaton. Eaton uh, he's coming back from injury. He missed the majority of last year, and he was having a heck of a year. Um, advanced stats love him. Uh, so, you know, I, I, and, and Trey Turner playing in his second full year season in baseball. I think the Nationals are a problem. Um, you know, uh, another, they're another team. So uh, that, that the Yankees that, you know, a lot of these guys are going to have to watch out for uh, in October. So uh, I, I'm not going to say that they're going to jump them. Uh, I, I think, you know, when we do a, a, you know, a later show, we'll do like a, a full round table baseball where we just, you know, look at everybody. You'll see how deep Washington really is. Uh, so we'll see, but the, the mess like you, you know, we know that they're, they're in that wild card mix. They're going to be in that wild card mix, um, with San Francisco, uh, with Colorado, uh, Milwaukee got a lot better. Uh, so they got to win, they got to stay healthy and they'll win, they'll win enough to be in the wild card mix. Uh, you know, when, uh, you know, hopefully you, you'd like to see them win one, one of, you know, one of those two spots. And then, uh, you know, anything can happen from there. They've proven that. Well, if that's the case, it'd be great to have that type of, of excitement back in baseball where both New York teams are doing well. So, although I'm a Yankees fan and I really don't like the Mets, you know, in this sense, I'll be pulling for those guys to do well. But speaking of the Yankees, the Yankees won another game yesterday, Mad Mike. They beat the Phillies 8-3 to as the pitching and offense came together for the third straight win. Now, Jordan Montgomery had a nice debut, and we got our first look at Justice Sheffield for those who watched the game, you know, and the offense did a solid job. Now, it's another spring training game in the books, and the Yankees have another win under their belt, and again, that's three straight wins for New York. Both the regulars and the second-string players made solid contributions in that game against the Phillies yesterday, Matt Mike, and the pitching was great. Aside from one Rocky outing by Justice Sheffield. He didn't, you know, I mean, he looked well in the beginning. And then he got knocked around a little bit. But wasting no time at all in that particular game. The sixth man or seventh man or whatever you want to call him. 
Jacoby Ellsbury singled to start the game off. And in the Yankees' future, Gleyber Torres, he followed out with a double. Aaron Hicks singled on a ball that was lost in the sun. And Danny Espinosa made himself useful <laughs> and knocked in all three runs. But he was thrown out of third base. So Hicks picked up another hit in the fourth. And, you know, with the leadoff double. And Ronald Torres hit a sack fly to give the Yankees a 4-0 lead. But by the time the sixth inning had rolled around, Mad Mike, the Yankees had replaced most of their original lineup. Uh, Kyle Higagashi Shioka, and I probably butchered his name. He hit a single. Your boy Torres doubled. I know you're such a big fan of him. You're a fanboy of Torres. And then both players scored after a player by the name of Jeff Hendricks reached on the fielding error. So, you know, the Yankees tacked on the final two runs in the eighth. And, you know, again, kudos. Joe Montgomery again. You know, he pitched really well. He gave up one hit through two innings of work, Matt Mike, and struck out two batters. So that's the one guy that the Yankees are looking at as being the fifth starter in the rotation, and he looked really solid. And again, we got our first nit, uh, you know, our first look at Justin Sheffield. He did have two strikeouts and looked filthy during the first inning of work, but his second inning was a different story. He surrendered a walk. He hit the next batter. You know, one guy grounded to a force. And then, you know, Franco hit a two-run blast off from the center field. So, you know, that's growing pains with the young pitcher. But the fact that he looked good in his first inning was a good sign, man, Mike, if you want to take the good with the bad. Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, uh, Jordan Montgomery is going to be really good this year. Uh, I think I, I touched on it last week. Uh, for a guy who didn't have his number one pitch, which is his changeup, all season, I think uh, in September alone, he only threw a 13% of the time, which was the lowest for his career in any month of baseball. Uh, I think he's going to be filthy this year. The guy was hovering around a, a ER, sub-4 ERA all year. Um, it, 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 let's be honest, yo. What we saw yesterday and his first start should give us all you know, reason to be excited. Uh, like you said, yeah, Sheffield was, was Sheffield was money in that first inning. Um, I thought you could see uh, uh, a young player. I don't think it was any nerves in that second inning. I just think that when it comes to spring training, um, some guys get tired fast. You know, it's his first, it's his first real work. Um, you know, he goes to the bench. He has to get up, come back off the bench. And I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just telling you, you know, that that's just how it is in spring training. That's just, you know, and you could tell, you know, you hit a batter, you walk a batter. Um, that's what the Yankees are looking for from him anyway. They're looking for him to throw more strikes, command the strike zone more. So at least, you know, they saw the struggles up front. Larry Rothschild gets to see the struggles up front in the game, and now they can go to work. You know, I, I always say the one thing about spring training, uh, uh, I, you know, yeah, you want guys to have success in spring training, but at the same time, this is where you want some of those younger guys, the guys that you know that are not breaking camp with the team. This is where you kind of want them to have some struggles because now the, the uh, big league coaches can, you know, have discussions with them. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying that, that minor league coaches don't know what they're doing, but there are gems that a major league coach can give you that a minor league guy couldn't. Um, I, I like the first, uh, you know, Gleyber Torres um, had a double in the first inning. I was impressed by that. Uh, that 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 three-run first inning was a little bit of fluff, though, right? Because uh, the 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 
three-run double comes with two outs. But like you said, Mikel Franco lost the ball in the sun right off the bat. I mean, it was a pop-up to third base. He didn't even move. Um, it, it was it was just a matter of him losing the ball. Otherwise, the Yankees don't get any runs. So, But nice to see uh, Danny Espinosa uh, get a double. Um, not a guy I want to see win a job. So uh, me personally, I don't like it. Uh, Ronald Torres going you know, three for three or whatever he, he ended up with. Don't want to see that either because you know, we all know how I feel about him. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I, I'll try not to butcher his name, but Kyle Higa Shioka, um, the fact that he's three for three, already got four hits this spring, uh, hitting 750, you know, I hope that, 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 that uh, I hope it shows, man, because we all know I, I think he's more talented than Austin Romine. And um, I think he brings more of an offensive package. Uh, and hopefully he has a great spring and can somehow find a way to supplant uh, Romine. Now, here's the thing, man, Mike. He does bring a better offensive package than Romine. But Romine is known for being a great handler at the Yankees pitchers and being pretty good defensively behind home plate. Yeah, but you know, not for nothing, Lloyd, I, I know that that's the perception and that's the feeling. And I always said that about Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi built that perception, but advanced stats don't agree with you. Advanced stats think he, he's a middle to, to uh, uh, below average defensive catcher outside of blocking balls. Uh, there's nothing he does uh, he does well. So advanced stats, uh, you know, which the Yankees swear by, uh, don't agree with that perception of him. Well, you have a new manager. And maybe this manager may see things differently than Joe Girardi has or than Joe Girardi did. And, you know, he says there's a lot of open battle competitions. I don't know if I've necessarily heard him say that the catcher's position or the backup spot is one that's, you know, that's that's in, you know, competition. But I agree with you in the sense that, you know, I'm not a big fan of Austin Roman, but, you know, he's he's done the job. I, I don't know if you want to say adequately enough or whatever, but I guess done enough to, to, to still be a major league baseball player. You know, so we'll see what happens. You know, also, you know, you have the Yankees. Lloyd, he hit, he hit under 200 yeah, after yeah. April. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying, if, no, uh, if well, Joe I mean, Girardi didn't make us all look at Gary Sanchez as such a horrible defensive player last year, we wouldn't be having a conversation that Austin Roman is good defensively. The only thing, reason we look at it that way, in my opinion, is because we, 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 we were led to believe he had a better year than Gary Sanchez, and Gary Sanchez was awful. But that's wrong. That's, that's just, that's, it's, it's just wrong. It is. Uh, you know, but, you know, there's been talks again with the Yankees about how they're going to handle the lineup. I'm really not a big fan of, you know, hitting Judge or Stanton in the number two slot. I'm curious to see what you think about that. I think there's too many RBIs out of those guys' bats. But obviously, if the bottom of the Yan Yankees lineup do what they need to do, those guys will still have the opportunity. You know, there's a saying in baseball that leadoff hitters, you know, you're a leadoff hitter. But in, in all actuality, you really only lead off one time for the most part. And that's at the beginning of the game because most of the time you don't lead off another inning. So I guess that could be said for hitting the number two slot or the number three slot. But I would rather see Judge hitting the number three slot and Stanton hit five and maybe you sandwiched him 
with, you know, Greg Bird, you know, because obviously the Yankees have, you know, again, this is Joe Girardi, you know, there was moments he had DD hitting in the number four slot, he had guys hitting in the number four slot that are your unconventional number four, you know, your fourth place hitters, but he did that last year, so I don't know, you know, I would like to see again, either Stanton the Judge hit third, and fifth, respectively, with Sanchez. I mean, with, uh, yeah, Sanchez hitting in the sixth spot. But, you know, Aaron Boone seems set on hitting one of those guys in number two slot. And it seems like Judge is the guy that he's going to hit number two. I just want to get your thoughts on where you would put those guys, you know, in the Yankees lineup. Um, for starters, uh, I don't think, I don't think, I know we're all focused on the number two hole, but I don't think it matters, right? I mean, one, I think I'm going to hit Aaron Judge in the two hole for two reasons. One, yes, he's a power hitter, and he'll probably drive in even more runs if he's hitting, you know, third, fourth, or fifth. But at the same time, you have to think about something um, that goes that goes overlooked with him. He's one of the leading uh, players in pitches per at-bat. So that's actually more uh, of an advantage for whoever's hitting third and fourth and fifth behind him. Because if he has an eight-pitch at-bat in the first inning, what is that pitcher going to throw uh, Stanton or Sanchez or Bird that they haven't seen already? That's the one good thing no one ever talks about. Uh, Brett Gardner and and uh, is averaging almost five pitches per at-bat. They're constantly him and Judge last year were um, in the upper echelon and um, runs you know per... You know, I mean, pitches per plate appearance. So that that's exactly how you want to do it. And they they have them. They they walk the most on on the, on the Yankees, uh, meaning Gardner and and uh, Judge. So they have a higher they have the highest OBPs on the team. Um, those are the guys that I want to I want to hit first and second. Um, the other reason that I think it's it's not really a big deal is because if Judge is not hitting second, who's hitting second? Sanchez, uh, Stanton. Bird, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, it, the fact of the matter is I want those guys hitting, getting as many at-bats as possible. Um, we just focus on Stanton and Judge so much, and we forget that Gary Sanchez is, is, is maybe a better hitter than both of those guys. Um, you know, by the time he played, <laughs> by the time Gary Sanchez hit his first home run of the season, Aaron Judge had 13, and he ended with 33. So they, they pretty much have the same power. Uh it's so it, for me personally, it doesn't even matter. The key to the lineup to me is always going to be Greg Burt. Um, it's, it's never going to be Judge or Stanton, no matter if these guys want to make it look like Mantle Maris, whatever. But it's always going to be Greg Burt because he's the guy that didn't play last year. And, and if he's anything like he was his rookie season, if he's anything like he was last spring, then he takes this lineup to another level. Not those guys. Those guys already, you know, put us in a, uh, uh, you know, that, that upper echelon stratosphere where Greg Bird is going to take you and make you an untouchable offense. Now, I, I agree with you. After thinking about it while listening to your thoughts, I, you know, I can see, okay, I'll, I'll be okay with Judge hitting second, but here's another reason why I'll be okay with Judge hitting second, Matt Mike, is if I think about it, if Judge doesn't hit second, then, you, like you said, who do you hit second? And you can't hit, you know, the, the problem is you'll have back-to-back -back lefties. So you have Gardner. If you hit Didi there, Didi's a lefty. So you have two lefties. If you, have, if you hit Bird there, you have two lefties. So hitting Judge in the number two slot, not only for your reasons as to why you should hit two, it also breaks up, you know, the lefty, lefty, and then you'll, be, you'll have a lefty, 
you know, a lefty, righty, and so forth. So with that being said, you know, real quick. Well, you're, well, you're, well, well, just to combat, combat that, and, and the only reason I'm going to combat this because I actually heard, um, actually heard Brian Cashman touch on this um, earlier this week. I, I don't think, I think that, that that's a Joe Girardi thing. The, the, the righty lefty righty lefty I think we make too much of it and Cashman kind of touched on that early this week where he said um you know we we it's not about he said good hitters hit good pitching no matter what it is and just to to, to line that up for you um I wouldn't be opposed to hitting Didi Gregorius second in the lineup and here's why he has the the highest uh, batting average against left-handed pitching on the Yankees and he's a lefty so it's not like you can go to to a, a lefty specialist um, to get out Gardner and Didi because it's not it's not guaranteed. Gardner's not so so great against lefties, but Didi is. So the, you know a lefty throwing a Didi is like a righty throwing a Didi. So I'm not necessarily opposed to that either. I was just throwing that out there, but it's not. You know I know we make a lot about it, but um, I don't think it's it's much to do. Well, here's the thing. I'm glad you threw that out there because for the third time, I don't change my damn mind. <laughs> so with that being said, before we go to a commercial break, Matt Mike, I want you to give me, if you was the manager, if you was the acting active manager of the New York Yankees right now, I want you to give me your one through five in the Yankees lineup, and then I'll give my one through five in the Yankees lineup. We'll take a commercial break and then we'll come back and talk some basketball and hockey. So give me your one through five. Uh, if you were the active, active manager of the New York Yankees, what would be your one through five? Opening day. Uh, that's easy. For me, it's Gardner, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Bird. Okay. Now, after uh, listening to you and changing my mind three times, three times, I'm going to say, I would say my 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 leadoff hitter would be Gardner. Then I would, I would go with, with Didi hitting the number two slot. Then I would go with Judge hitting the number three slot. Then I would go, I'm sorry, I would go like him with the righties, man. I would go Judge, Stanton, and Sanchez. Three, four, five. That's murderous role right there. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to argue with that because in the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter. I mean, is Bird going to hit six or is Didi going to hit six? Who cares? In the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I promise you this, and, and I don't care what anybody freaking tells me. Those, in, in any kind of order, those are going to be your, your six hitters, right? It's going to be Gardner, Judge, Sanchez, Stanton, Bird, Didi, in any, in any six order, right? How many games out of 162 do you think we're going to see all six hit in the first inning? I'm going to say more than 50% of those games. Yeah, that's a good shot. That's a good shot. So, why do we care? There's you know what I'm saying? If you're telling me, if I'm telling you in more than half of your games, in at least 82 of your games this year, we're going to see those six hitters all get up in the sixth inning. Who cares how they hit? That means that we're winning games, brother. That means that we're scoring runs. I could care less. Yeah. I'm more concerned with 7, 8, 9 than I am 1 through 6. Yeah, but and that's the honest to God truth. And that's the joy of, of, of you know being a sports fan and having a sports show. Like you said, who gives a crap? But in the end, it's fun to think about it and tinker with that lineup. You know, it's like you know, it's like you know, being a kid with the greatest toy on earth to be able to move pieces anywhere you want to. 
You know, and that's yeah. that's exactly what Boone has. And, you know, let's see what happens. You know, let's see what he does when guys hit slumps because it's baseball. So it happens. So, you know, um, impressive impressive spring thus far by both New York teams, the Mets and the Yankees. And, you know, spring training has just begun. So, you know, we'll continue to talk baseball. You know, we have a lot of baseball to talk, you know, because baseball is one of the longest-running sports. You know, when, Hey, Lloyd. Yes. Hey, Lloyd. Actually, uh, I wanted to run this by you because um, I, I know that a lot of Yankee fans are, are pretty nervous about Aaron Boone and, and uh, you know, never been having any experience. And, you know, now that Joe's gone, did we make a mistake? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, you've heard the narrative. We've all we've discussed it. Um, does it make people feel more comfortable now that Baron Boone has kind of uh, I'm not going to say kind of he announced he, he basically told the world that um, he had another job lined up in, in baseball? You know, he, he, he's, he wasn't going to release the team. He wasn't going to release the position, whether it was a manager or, or a coach or whatever it is. But he's saying that if he didn't get the Yankee job, um, he was already uh, uh, going to accept another job. Uh, for another major league team, does that make people feel a little more comfortable that maybe the Yankees got it right because there there was at least one other team ready to uh, give him something? Well, here's the thing: I think that the Yankees got it right based off of everybody else that they were interviewing for the coaching job. Um, obviously, I've you know I've been around for quite some time. I hate to say that, so that kind of lets the cat out the bag about my age. But even him being an analyst on Sunday Night Baseball, you can tell when guys get baseball. You can tell when guys know baseball. And sometimes the great players of the game don't always make great managers, as we both know. I'm a big Joe Girardi fan. I hated to see him go, as you very well know. But I'm really not that upset or disappointed with Aaron Boone being a Yankees manager. As you know, I would like to have Willie Randolph be the manager. That wasn't happening. I didn't even give him a shot. Maybe Tino Martinez, that wasn't happening. I didn't give him a shot, you know. So, you know, with that being said, I'm really not I'm really not mad at Aaron Boone. And he said all the right things. And thus far, he's done all the right things. So, you know, like anything, you got to give somebody an opportunity before you can say if this is the right decision or the wrong decision. So, you know, let's see what happens. But, you know, I'm okay with it, Matt, Mike. I'm All okay right. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, you know what I mean? We'll see as the season goes. I just, I found it fascinating, um, that a guy that we, that, you know, some fans were like, who's this guy or why, what has he done? Um, you know, comes out and it's like, well, you know what? If not the Yankees, it was going to be somebody else. That's New Yorkers, um, man. A lot of times New York sports fans, they talk out the, the their rear end, you know, instead of their, you know, thinking about what they say before they say. And I'm I'm guilty of that as well. So I don't know if that's a New York thing or what, but you know, it is what it is. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. And we're going to talk about Mad Mike, Mad Mike's boy, Trey Burke, putting in that work in the New York Knicks uniform. We'll be right back. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my name is A.O., Aaron Omar Baker, and I'm the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Show. Listen, for starters, I want to say thank you for tuning in, thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing the show. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn. Just head over to LloydAThompson.com. All the information is there, and if you want to send a question to the guys, they'll answer it on a future show. You can do so at the website or directly by email it's lloyd at part of my fresh.com all right that's it real quick real simple let's get back to the show 
Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Before we went on a break, listeners, we were talking about Mad Mike's boy, Trey Burke, putting in that work. And speaking of Trey Burke, he's done nothing but going out and proving himself as being the New York Knicks' best point guard on their roster after Jeff Hornacek to check said that he was going to commit to playing the younger guys. His rotation is still off. But, you know, just to give you a, you know, a little briefing on Trey Burke, you know, he, he was a rookie with the Jazz in the 2013-2014 season. He started 68 games, and he had a solid season. He averaged 12.8 points and had 5.7 assists, and he was an all-rookie first-team selection and finished third in rookie of the year voting behind Michael Carter-Williams and Victor Oladipio, Mad Mike. Now, then the Jazz drafted another point guard by the name of Dante Exum with the lottery selection in 2014. And, you know, obviously, when you're a point guard, a young point guard, and you get drafted and you think you're doing well to see an organization draft another point guard, that, that you know, that's like a, a punch to the gut, Mad Mike. And, you know, Trey Burke admitted that that, you know, that damaged his psyche. You know, now Trey Burke, he's coming off back-to-back 26-point games as the Knicks version of instant offense off the bench. Now, that hasn't been done. The last person to do that, a Knicks uniform coming off the bench and, you know, putting in 25-plus-point games and back-to-back games was J.R. Smith. Now, Trey Burke is a part of the Knicks' new-look three-point guard backcourt with two other lottery picks, Emmanuel Moutier and Frank Nidalekina, you know, and they've all done well, although, Matt, Mike, I know I've teeter-tottered with this. You know, um, I'm, I'm still going through the growing pains with Frank Nilekina, man. You know, Emmanuel has the ability to create for others and himself. His shot is a little suspect, you know, and Frank, his versatility, he's showing up well on the defensive side of the ball, you know, and, you know, he's young. He's 19. He still has a long way to go. And, you know, a lot still, you know, a lot of people still think that he's on the right path, you know, so the verdict is still out on him, you know, and that probably includes Burke, who, you know, who's 25, you know, and he has a, a bright future ahead of him, but, you know, his confidence seems to be gleaming now, and we said, I don't understand Hornacek's rotation, because, again, for the second game in a row, he didn't put Trey Burke into the game until... I would say midway towards the end of the second quarter, Matt Mike, and he's done nothing but dazzled and played well. So I don't get the rotation, and I, I, isn't sports all about putting your best players on the court, you know, getting the most out of them? So if he's your best player and he's been playing, and he's been playing outplaying Emmanuel Moutier and Frank Nilakina, why does he continue to put him in the game towards the end? of the second quarter, sitting them down for the third quarter and playing them all in the fourth quarter. I don't get that. Maybe you can make some sense out of that, Matt, Mike. Uh, you, you just dropped a lot on me. You just dropped a lot on me. Um, so I'll touch on, on the uh, rotation. Uh, first off on the rotation, um, I don't I don't know necessarily what it is Hornacek is looking for um, as far as, you know, point guard play. Uh they say that he likes uh, Moutier's ability to create. They say that he likes um, Trey Burke's instant offense. They say that he likes Frank Nilekina's uh, versatility, his defense. So from that standpoint, I guess uh, 
it depends on what he's looking at in that game. Um, if you're looking to slow down Kyrie Irving, I guess you're looking at Nilakina. If you're looking to break down an offense, I guess you're looking at Moutier or defense rather. And if you if you're falling behind, um, I get, or, or you see the offense becoming stagnant, I guess uh, you're going Trey Burke. And I'm just giving the man. Uh, too much credit, in my opinion. So now, you did touch on two things that I really do want to discuss. Um, Trey Burke being 25 years old, he was a lottery pick. He's a first-time all-rookie. Um, and like you said, they you know most people forget that the very next year, um, after making all-rookie first team, uh, Utah goes and drafts Dante Exum. And they basically crushed um, Trey Burke's psyche. You know what I mean? They basically said, you have a guy that thought he was ascending, you know, look, being looked at, you know, uh, uh, top three in rookie of the year voting, you know, um, it just didn't make any sense, right? Like we're looking at it and it never made any sense. And now all of a sudden he's struggling to find minutes. He's struggling to find, you know, confidence. Uh, he's now fearing that every mistake I make as a young player, I'm, I'm going to go to the bench because obviously there's something I did wrong. Uh, whether the team told him what it was or not, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to digress, but, you, you know, when you have three-point guards, you know, they say that about the, 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 the Knicks, right? When you have three-point guards, you don't have any point guards. Well, what about Utah, Rubio, Burke, Exum? When you, you, you know, not, not, not Rubio. I'm um, uh, forgetting the other guy's name. But, um, you, you know, same thing, right? So, so that's how Burke is looking at it. All of a sudden, he's looking at it like, man, they don't look at me like a point guard. Um, anyway. Uh, I just think, you know, he's also 25, right? And, and the league tends to think that game has passed you by for some reason at 25. I mean, 25 is still pretty young, right? Uh, he hasn't even reached his prime, which in the NBA we look at at about 28 years old, right? 27, 28 in his prime. He's got his years under him. He's got his experience under him. And he still has his explosion, his explosion and, and uh, you know, his durability. So if you ask me, we got a guy who's coming into it. You know, he's coming into his prime. He, he's figured things out, and the Knicks got to steal. Um, as far as Frank goes, man, you know, last week they put out a really good piece over, over All-Star Week, and I don't know if you caught it, but um, they were talking about Frank Nilekina. Um He'd basically be a freshman in college, right? You know, well, when you go away to school, when you go away to college, you deal with, you know, missing home. You deal, you're homesick. You're dealing with a whole new world, a whole new environment. And that's a, as a, 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 an American going to an American college. This kid is a foreigner. He came over to play professional. He didn't bring his family with him. He didn't bring a support system. You know, when KP came over here, KP brought everybody with him. His mother, his brothers, everybody came with him. So when things went wrong in New York, he has somebody to turn to. They said that that, that, that Frank's big brother, and this kind of makes sense because remember we were like, why didn't they trade Kyle Quinn and Courtney Lee? This saying Courtney Lee is like his big brother. That's his mentor. For all the stuff we heard about Jared Jack, they say he turns to Courtney Lee. He didn't come here with his parents or his brother. He left them home. So he's trying to figure his way out in the States by himself. He's trying to figure out how to be a pro by himself. All at a time where, yeah, I mean, we make excuses for college kids all the time. Why can't we make an excuse for this kid for one year? If anything, it makes me even more excited about his future that he would have chose to do this on his own. It tells me that next year or two years from now, the growth you're going to see is going to be it's going to be amazing. Well, again, man, Mike, you know, you know, I've been, you know, one of his biggest haters. 
Um, and then I've soured on him. And now, you know, <laughs> I'm turning back, not to being a hater, but, you know, I'm, I'm losing my patience with him. And obviously you brought up a great point. You know, because I know when I used to go to sleepaway camp, I used to cry like a little, you know, I used to cry like a little baby because I missed home. So, you know, that's just sleepaway camp. So let alone an NBA season in a big city such as New York. Obviously, you know, like you said, the way he's handling it, it shows, you know, his maturity or, you know, that he's headed on the right path. And look, I would like, as being a Knicks fan, I would like nothing more than to see Franklin Lakina be successful and his organization to be successful. But when you've been kicked in the gut, and stomped on so many times by Knicks ownership and Knicks management, you feel you feel like you know you're waiting for that. You know, <laughs> I don't even know how to how to even put this. Like you're waiting to go into the curtain or waiting yeah, to open up that door and walk into a room, a nice furnished room, and then you open a door and you fall to your death. Man. That's how I feel as a Knicks fan. You feel like the elevator. The, the door opened and the elevator never came up? Yeah. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling right now. So right now, you know, people are saying, well, that elevator is sitting there. It's sitting there, Lloyd. As soon as you press that button, you're going to walk into the elevator and it's going to, you know, it's going to take you down or up to where you need to be. And in my mind, I'm like, well, no, I don't know about that. I have this. I have a feeling that when I open up that door, if I trust you guys, that when I step into that elevator, when them doors open, I'm going to fall to my death. That's just where I'm at right now, and it's sad, but that's just where I'm at with this New York Knicks team and the New York Knicks organization, man, Mike. But Yeah, I'm, I'm not so much. I'm, I'm not so much. I, I, I think they have enough bright spots, and like I told you, if, if, you, know, if you do the right thing, we, we know they're going to get a top 10 pick this year, and this draft is, is 10 deep. Um, I don't care what anybody says. It might be 12 deep. So if you pick the right guy... Um, if you pick the right guy, then then you know you you can erase a lot of mistakes. And if you're smart and KP is not going to be ready till next March, you just hold him out the whole year, which means you'll probably be picking in the top ten again. And um, it, it just takes me back to what I just said: if if Burke pans out. If Moutier pans out and if Frank pans out, then you have three point guards. You don't necessarily need three. Now, all of a sudden, you have a major trade ship. KP is going to come back. You're adding two more lottery picks to, to the mix. And it, it's there's a lot of reasons to, to be hopeful. Um, it, like you said, Dolan's still running the team. Do you, do you anticipate these guys making the right moves? But um, outside of that... Uh, it's also coach, man. Um, it's also the coach. It's do you have the right coach in place? Um, I heard Alan Hahn uh, talk about one thing that's holding this team back is Frank um, could really benefit from playing in a high screen and roll, and so could Trey Burke. And uh, and he said that for some reason it's just not something that that uh, it's just not a part of the offense that Phil believed in. It's not a part of the offense that Hornacek believed in. Um, Hornacek believes in. Uh, he just doesn't play it. Um, he was saying from Frank's standpoint, if you give him a high screen and roll, um, it gives him more room to, to make a decision, to, to make a move, whether that's getting to the hole or, or passing off or, or kicking out. Um, it, it's easier for, he just was saying, it's an easier offense uh, for, for a rookie still developing on offense 
uh, to learn and, and, you know, to get more comfort on, on a court. And he said for completely different reasons for Trey Burke. Trey Burke, on the other hand, is a scoring machine that actually doesn't necessarily need help getting into the hoop. He can break down a defense. If you high screen a roll for him, he has two things. One, he can shoot from outside. So um, you high screen a roll for him um, and give him enough space. He can, he can you know, just pop up and, and, and drain one. Or he can go straight to the hole and crash a defense, collapse a defense. Or he can hit the man, you know, moving on, on, on the roll. So he, he said he's a prototypical. He's exactly what the Knicks have been missing in, in a high screen and roll point guard. And it's something that the Knicks get killed on defensively for the last two years. Um, so it, it kind of makes you wonder what the coaches thinking or doing. Um, I'm fine with that either way. But, you know, I, I mean, I'm not as uh, down as you are. I'm, I, I see the bright spots. But right now, the Knicks need to be in full tank mode. Um, I can say it. I won't get fined like Mark Cuban did for bringing all his players into a room and telling them that they need to tank the rest of the season. Yo, can we talk about that for a second? Because he, he shouldn't have been fined. No, he, you should, know? He, he shouldn't have been fined. But, you know, that's the NBA, quote unquote, being politically correct. He nah, but he's done fined. it right. Lord, he's done it right. He's never once tanked. He's never once let Dirk just walk. He's, he's tried to sign guys. You know, he, he had uh, Wesley Matthews uh, uh, inked to a contract, uh, agreed to a contract, and he would have been well within his rights to, to pull that contract out from under Wesley Matthews because he signed him after DeAndre Jordan had agreed to that contract and backed out. Um, but he didn't. And and he did the he did the the right thing and he, and he kept them signed he signed Chandler Parsons this is a guy that's never tainted man he, when when they're bad they've been bad but it's never been because he 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 hasn't um you know last year they were bad and he made the trade for New Orleans Noel he tried to 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 change the structure of the season and now we're gonna fault him for for coming out and saying it this guy has never done it before Cleveland has had three number one picks since freaking Mark Cuban has owned. Uh, four number one picks. I'm sorry, right? Because you got LeBron, Bennett, Wiggins, and Kyrie. They've had four number one picks since this man is on the, the Mavericks. And why why doesn't Dan Gilbert get fined? Yeah, listen, I tell you this much: I don't have a problem with it at all. If if they don't if they don't want play teams to tank, then they need to rework the the salary cap and all that other kind of stuff. You know, figure out ways to do that as well. You know, so I'm I'm not mad at Mark Cuban for saying that because I want the Knicks to tank. And right now, the Knicks are in a position where they're on the outside looking in for being one of those eight lottery teams that can possibly move up slots in the draft. They're games behind the Chicago Bulls, who just, they blew, the Chicago Bulls blew a 12-point lead the other night, Matt, Mike, with I think like a minute left in the game, or two minutes left in the game. I don't know how the heck you do that, but the Chicago and, uh, Bulls. Why, and what, what did they do? Every, everybody that played that, that contributed to that 12-point lead, they, they went and benched them. I mean, there's other owners that are the coaches that are doing things that that make you say that that let you know what they're doing that they're tanking. And Mark Cuban, he's never done that. They've never coached their their team that way. They've never built it. I just think that is is hypocrisy at its best. You know, all right, I know you're doing it. Just don't don't admit to it, and we'll be fine with it. No, I mean. You know, go go find those other teams. Go find the Nets for, for benching all their starters last year on a final game of the year, allowing the Chicago Bulls to get into the playoffs over the Miami Heat. Find them. Do something to them. But, but, but come on, man. It makes me sick. Listen, I also want to add out that the Knicks signed. They signed an athletic newcomer 
who's turning heads by the name of Troy Williams, man, Mike. We're on the right path, baby. We're on the right path. So he signed a 10-day contract on Wednesday. He's 6'7". He's athletic. And he played the entire fourth quarter in the loss to the Celtics on Saturday at the Garden. He scored 14 points in 12 minutes. Now, again, I'm joking about that. You know, but he's young. He's 23 years old. You know, he went to college at Indiana. And the Knicks are trying to see what they have in the future moving forward. He's not a sexy name. But yet and still, you know, this... Again, again with the me feeling bamboozled by the Knicks. The Knicks are finally giving their guys, their young guys, an opportunity to play, which we've been asking for this for such a long time. It's finally happening. So you're able to – and listen, oddly enough, Matt Mike, the Knicks are more competitive now with these young guys than they were with the damn veterans. Yeah, you know what makes me laugh about Troy Williams? Um, everyone loves his upside when he's playing for the Houston Rockets. <laughs> when the Knicks pick him up on a 10-day contract, everyone's like, ah, oh, whatever. Oh, Troy Williams gets 12 minutes of shine. It's like, do you like the kid or do you not like the kid? Because it, it, if you like the kid uh, in Houston, he's the same kid in New York. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And let's, let's face it, I mean, you know, how much playing time was he going to get on that Houston Rockets team? Not with that roster that they have, that they have. He wasn't going to get that much playing time. And from what I've seen of him, you know, the, the kid has potential to be really good. I really haven't, he really hasn't shot the ball that much. Everything he's done, he's dropped, you know, he's, he's, it's been on drives to the basket. And you like to see that aggression. But I'm, I'm anxious to see the verdict on his shot, you know, on how well his shot is. You and know, if he couldn't shoot the ball, he would have never been on that roster. I mean, we do have to look at who the coach is. And, and the style of offense they play. If he didn't have a, uh, if he couldn't shoot it, he would have never been on the Houston Rockets roster. Cracking the rotation for a championship contender—that's a different reason for leasing somebody. But if they weren't, they weren't a number two seed or three seed, and they weren't trying to go out and lock up some veterans, um, it, you know, to make this playoff, this this title run, uh, he'd probably still be on that roster. Facts. Well, here's the thing, man, Mike, and st- if if this kid gives you that type of energy and that type of output in 12 minutes, why the hell is the New York Knicks coach, again, not playing him sooner? Forget Lance Thomas, man. Give him Lance Thomas minutes. You already know what you're going to get out of Lance Thomas. What you want to see is what you need to have. Again, and we keep on saying this, just like a damn broken record, you need to see what you have moving forward. You need to see what pieces you have moving forward. You need to see what pieces you need to keep. And you need to see what pieces you might need to get rid of. Give this kid a shot, man. Give him a shot. Give him Lance Thomas minutes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, but you got to ask yourself something, right? Luke Cornett came out and looked good for a game. And then he played one other game and he hasn't been in Hornacek's uh, rotation since. Um, it, it's just the way it's been for him. It's just, the you know... Um, I just think that they have – I think the only reason you're seeing it at the point guard position is because it's, there's way too many guys on, on at the position now where, where you know, you know what Jack, Jack is. Uh, you know, now I need to see what Moody – I've, I've given you way too much at the uh, unknown at the position uh, for you to justify uh, still playing Jared Jack. Um, as far as the other guys go, I just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm once again making excuses for the guy because I do agree with you. Um, there's plenty of guys that, that, that should be playing. Um, 
mm-hmm. that that you do have to answer some questions on. Um, but we'll see. Face it, man, like, I do believe that if the orders wouldn't have came from up top to play those three young point guards that Jared Jack would still be getting a significant amount of playing time in the New York Knicks uniform. You're 100% correct. And you know what What, what also bothers me about that? Um, the GM in Phoenix, right? They, didn't they have three point guards in Phoenix and Eric Barkley and, and Goran Dragic? And then there was there was one other guy that, that I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting. But they, they had a three-point guard rotation that he that he made work. And, and one of the reasons why it worked was because nobody could really guard them. No, they, they had three guys that, that, you know, two guys on the court at, at all times that, that could break down the defense. And maybe you can argue that the Knicks don't have that, um, that kind of point guard talent. But if, if you know it works, why wouldn't you try to, 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 you know, make that work while KP was still on the court? You know what I mean? Like, if, if I, you can run these guys with KP all at the same time, why not? Like, what, what was the sense of, of I'm just going to give it to Jared Jack because I know that he's going to be one of, he's just going to be an average guy and, and we're relying on KP to carry us. And KP was asking for help, right? He's been asking for help. Could you imagine if you had Tim Hardaway and Trey Burke putting up those numbers with KP, how easy the game would have been? Yeah, I mean, let's face it, before, Trey Burke is the only point guard who can create, you know, a shot off his dribble and actually make it. You know, I think Moutier could do the same as well, but he's not a, he's nowhere near the jump shooter as Trey Burke is. No. You know, nowhere near. So the Knicks don't have a point guard on their roster right now that could create a shot and actually make a shot off their dribble like outside of Trey Burke. And they have that in Trey Burke. So me personally, I would like to see them start Trey Burke and bring Emmanuel Moutier off the bench. Yeah, you know, Moody is just not in shape. And I, I don't know what Hornacek, I don't know if it's Hornacek, I don't know if it's, a, if it's the front office. He, he's not in shape. He wasn't playing in Denver. Let's, let, we got to be fair to him, too. I'd love to see what, what Moody is going to do next year because it's too late for him to get in shape. Even if he gets in shape in the next two or three weeks, you're talking about mid-March, man. You're talking about he's going to have four weeks left in the season. It's just not going to happen. Guys don't get in shape in, in, in March. They get in shape in the offseason. And, and Denver, you, you know, we are talking, Denver didn't trade him because he was playing great. Denver traded him because he wasn't part of the rotation anymore. He's out of shape. It's one of the reasons the Knicks are telling you it doesn't make sense, you know, for all the people that are calling for Noah to play, it doesn't make sense. He's not in shape anymore. Well, why would Moutier be in shape if Denver was treating him like you're treating Noah? Listen, I'll tell you much. Speaking of Noah, supposedly the National Back- Basketball Players Association is backing him on this whole thing with the Knicks sending them home, and they don't seem happy about that. So it seems like it's going to be a little war going on between the National Basketball Players Association Lord, and the New York Knicks when it comes to Joakim Noah, Mad Mike. Take take a buyout. Here's the one thing that, that, that even our listeners, anyone that, that wants to side with him, no problem. But there's no the, the Knicks own him now. And I don't, I, and I don't mean that because you know I'm very sensitive to slavery and, and things like that. I don't mean it in that way. What I mean is they own his rights at the moment. You know what I'm saying? He signed that four year contract for seventy two million dollars that all of these Nick fans hate and think that he's overpaid. Well, guess what? They can do whatever they want. You want out of here? Then you take the buyout. And if you don't want it, 
I don't have to waive you. I don't have to use the stretch provision because it, because it's there. It's there to prevent, you know, to prevent teams to get stuck with contracts like this, but they don't have to use it. They can say if the Knicks who are not going to contend next year either, and this is a dangerous time for, for Noah. Because the Knicks already have them on the books, and they're not going to contend next year. Next year, they're just going to keep looking to find more young talent to cultivate. They don't have to waive them. This guy can legitimately not play basketball for another year and a half. And considering how little ball he played last year, that would be three years without playing ball. That's going to essentially end his career. He'd be smart to just take the, 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 the buyout and, and let the Knicks save whatever amount of money they're going to save and then go find another team. Well, supposedly he's gauging interest from the Golden State Warriors. Now, obviously, the Golden State Warriors are not going to trade anybody to get him. And it I mean, they're not. let me not say not going to trade anybody to get him. They're definitely not going to take on that horrendous contract that he has. But supposedly he's gauging interest from the Golden State Warriors. So should the Knicks buy him out, which ain't going to happen, because if I'm him, I'm not, like you said, by the time this is all said and done, his NBA career is over, probably. Yeah. So, so take the money and run while you can. Hundred percent. So uh, I mean, yeah, but but he has an opportunity if he goes to a team like Golden State. If he takes this buyout and goes to a team like Golden State, he has he he has an opportunity to rebuild himself and make a name for himself. It's not like let me tell you something. It, 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 we can say whatever we want about him. He's a better ball player than Jaja Petulia, who 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 is currently just. Playing center for for the Golden he State Warriors, flourish, he would flourish in Golden State. I think Joe Kim, with the, the style, the type of player that Joe Kim Noah is, who doesn't require or request the ball and kind of cleans up and gets a lot of put back, you know, points off of rebounds and stuff. He would flourish in Golden State system. Yeah, and and he he can still you know he he may have an ugly jump shot. But at the same time, he can facilitate. And that's one of the reasons that they loved him in Chicago. Um, he, he, he's able to facilitate an offense, and, and he would fit there. But you want to know what? You want to get there? Take the buyout. Yeah. If not, I can do whatever I want. And, and it doesn't matter what the fans think. It doesn't matter what, 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 what the Players Association thinks. At the end of the day, you can't force me to release a guy. I don't have to play him. He signed here. And I'm paying this contract. That's all that I have to do. And if you're him, you sign a contract, the only thing you have to do is put that jersey on and do whatever they say. And if that's sit on the bench, you sit your butt on the bench and you keep your mouth shut. And I hate to say it that way, but in the end of the day, that's what it is, man. It's still a job. Agreed. Agreed. Now, something we don't normally do, Mad Mike, is more, more so than we should, is touch up on hockey. So your beloved New York Rangers... They traded away all-star Rick Nash to the Boston Bruins as the Boston Bruins continue to solidify their playoff push by acquiring a six-time all-star forward from the New York Rangers. Now, the Rangers received Ryan Spooner and Matt Bolesky and a prospect, Ryan Lindgren, and the 2018 first-round pick uh, and the 2019 seventh-round pick from the Boston Bruins. So, you know, Rick Nash, obviously his time in New York, you know, was you know, it wasn't great, you know, um, but, you know, he's moved on and, you know, the, the Rangers, you know, they're still in the playoff contention. They're still in the playoff contention, but, you know, trading Rick Nash away, does that mean that they're putting up the, you know, they're throwing up the white flag, Mag Mike? 
Yeah, no, it's over. Um, and they didn't just trade Rick Nash. They also traded Michael Grabner. Yeah, um, they traded the him to the Devils, yeah. Um, so, you know, you're looking at it, but they did well. If you think about it, you got a second-round pick for Grabner, and you got a first-round pick for, for Nash. On top of that, you got Lindgren, who, who's a hard-hitting defenseman. Um, he's a smart defender. He's not much of an offensive player, but... If you're going to start giving the team over, if you're committing to a guy like Chris Kreider and, and uh, you know, Mika Sabanajan and some other, you know, guys who, who can play offense, um, then you, you, this, that's the kind of guy that you want. Now, they still have they still have some other guys. They, they, they have enough talent to have been in a playoff picture. I think this year was more about the injuries, um, which is why I think this rebuild is actually smart because they have more talent than the record shows. Um, the problem they're going to have to me is, is what do you do at the goalie position? Because I think that the game um, has kind of passed. Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't want to say that because I just don't, I don't think the coach and the goalie right now um, see eye to eye. And I think that's more why you see some, some you know, uh, uh, such a downturn for, for Hank. So we'll see. I mean, I like the trades. Um, I like what they did. And uh, hopefully this, this keeps them, uh, you know, it's funny, right? Because we hear second round pick and after talking about, about basketball, you hear second round pick and you're like, yeah, it's not really that good. But then you realize that a second round pick in the NHL is more like a second round pick in the NFL where you're getting a high quality uh, player. You're drafting a high quality player that can uh, almost uh, immediately help your team. You know, so uh, it's they did great when you think about it. They're going to have their own high pick. Um, you're talking about four four picks, four high, really high picks. Um, it's great. It's great for them. Smart, smart uh, rebuild. Now the Islanders headed into the trade deadline, uh, having earned only one point, one of six possible points in a week that saw them play pretty well. And it was more frustrating because their top line of Tavares, Anders Lee, and Josh Bailey have been silent in the most important time for the team to make some noise. They traded for a defenseman from the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, two days earlier, you know, Tavares was quoted as, you know, he realized that he has to be a lot more consistent. Well, the team has to be more consistent, start with himself. But he's going seven days, seven games um, without an assist, eight games without a goal. And, you know, five on five situations and, you know, he's frustrated and obviously so he's in a contract year. Obviously so, you know, but all in all, John Tavares is the Islanders best player. Now, for weeks, it's, it's, you know, it's been easy to assume that the Islanders were seeking help at the tread day line and they'll be looking, you know, for defense. And they got just that. And, you know, a guy who's not so much a goal scorer. But he's a solid checker. You know, he, he's a guy that gets on the ice and he, you know, he body checks and he makes hits. And that's what the Islanders need. And the Islanders, you know, they're, they're, they're on the outskirts of, uh, you know, not making the playoffs, but they're still battling. But they can't have stretches, Mad Mike, where they don't pick up points. So as of now, it's very important for the Islanders to pick up points moving forward if they want to have any shot at getting that wild card playoff position, you know, in their division or in their conference, I should say. Yeah, uh, I think the Islanders just showed you, you know, how how tough, you know, being in a playoff hunt is in the NHL, right? Uh, 
this is why we're like, oh, the Rangers are in the hunt for the playoffs. Why are they selling? And, and it's and I just look at the Islanders' week, like you just said, they one point in in, in just a tough luck week, and now all of a sudden they're on the outskirts, and that's when when that's the uh that that's like you know do I buy do I sell that's the conundrum, and for them they bought, and, and you know let's be honest, one of the reasons that they bought at the deadline is because John Tavares uh, is is you know, and his walk here and they need to convince him that, you know, there's something worth staying for. Now, the question I have to you, because I'm not familiar with Davidson from, from, you know, the Oilers, um, it was this a good move or a great move? Because at some point, you know, you got to show John Tavares that you're willing to be great, not just good. And see, in my opinion, Matt Mike, I thought it was a good move. See, I didn't think then he, that's a problem. Yeah, it, it is. I didn't think it was a great move. I think it was a good move. You know, there's other players. That, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes, again, we always say the sexy names are always not the best names to go with. You know, and again, you know, this is a good move. It wasn't a great move. I don't think this really bolsters the Islanders' chance of making the playoffs. You know, and I don't necessarily think it hurts their chances of making the playoffs. So that's now, what do you I think say. about this? Uh, what do you think about the Josh Bailey extension? I like Josh Bailey, but Josh Bailey is one of those guys who, again, you know, John Tavares helps Josh Bailey out. You know, I don't think Josh Bailey is the type of player where he can, you know, be the man on the line and carry a line. I don't think he's that. I think Josh Bailey is a Robin to Batman, if that makes any sense. Okay, and now I'll ask you one last question. And um, you're more familiar with the team than I am. Um, I'm just on the outskirts looking in. But uh, if you're, who, who, who's it going to be, Grice or Halak? Because that's another thing that John Tavares is looking at. You know, right? He's saying, you know, last year wasn't Halak's time. You know, last year they went away from Halak. This year we're going back to Halak. Halak is one of the main reasons the Islanders are even in a playoff chase right now. You know what I mean? So... If, if you're having that conversation, who is it? And how do you sell that to John Tavares, that this is not going to happen again? We've settled on a goalie, and, and this is the guy. Now, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball at you, Matt Mike. I'm going to say neither one. I'm going to say neither one. I think the Islanders need to go out, and I think they need to get them a top-tier goal, a, 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 a top-tier netminder. There's ne there hasn't been, since a lock has been with the Islanders, and since Grice has been with the Islanders, there hasn't been any consistency from either one of them. I've seen games when the Islanders have been with it. Well, either one of those guys has given up four goals and five goals in a game. No consistency. So I'm going to say I don't think either one of them is the answer moving forward. And I think the Islanders need to get them a top-tier netminder moving forward. You know, I think that's been a shortcut that the Islanders' management, and I know we're running out of time, but that's been a shortcut that the Islanders' management has taken and has bitten them in the butt. So instead of trying to take a shortcut, do what's right. You know, one of the things I applaud, you know, the, the Rangers for is I love Henrik Lundqvist, man. That dude, is a, he's a beast. He's a beast, and if you give him any type of help, you know what I'm saying, you're, you're always there. And that's been the, you know, that's been the downfall for Henrik Lundqvist this year as he hasn't really had that much help from the Rangers as a whole. And I always say, if you put Lundqvist on the Islanders, the Islanders will be one of those teams. They'll be one of the top teams in their conference.
And we always said it all the time, if you combine some of these New York teams, oh boy. Because one always lacks what the other one has, and vice versa. So I would say neither one of them is the answer, and I will move forward. So with that being said, listeners, that's going to bring us to a conclusion of this week's show. Next week, me and the Mad Mike promise you that we're going to take a ton of questions from the listeners. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time answering questions from our listeners. So as always, me and the Mad Mike like to thank you, the listeners, for making this show what it is. Because without you guys, there's no us. We want to thank our producer, Ayo Omar Baker, for keeping this thing going. I want to thank the Mad Mike. So guys, please be safe. Be blessed and enjoy your seven days. And me and Mike will catch up with you as we're going to take tackle some more things, all right? So, hey, yo, let's roll up out of here, baby. And that's a wrap for today's show. Shouts to everybody for checking it out. Make sure you subscribe. Brand new episodes drop every Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And as always, check out LloydAThompson.com. Peace.